Riverdale to Ocean Parkway from Fort Wadsworth to Fort Totten. So it's time for Max and Murphy, your interview and call-in show about the policies, politics, and people of New York City and New York State. I'm Jarrett Murphy from CityLimits.org. And this is Ben Max from Gotham Gazette. Our first time, but maybe not last, being bumped a little later by Michael Cohen and uh, Trump matters in Washington. Let's see uh, how many times over the next months uh, we have to adjust many, schedules. The president's many sins. This yes, might be the yes, greatest. We, yeah. yes. This is uh, this is a real problem, and if Congress doesn't act soon, uh, we may not appear uh, in our five o'clock spot every Wednesday. Uh, how you doing? I'm good. Good, I'm good, good, good. Yeah, you get any sleep after the ro- rollicking, raucous public advocate special election? As elections go, this one was wrapped up in you know a, a timing to to satisfy my aging aging yeah. body and need for sleep nine twenty five nine thirty. You know, you know you, we sort of knew what uh, what had happened. Right. And so for folks listening who haven't seen Jamani Williams, winner of the public advocate special election that we've been covering in depth and regularly on the show. And we had then candidate Jamani Williams on the program last week for his final pitch to voters, at least in our airwaves uh, before the election. And he'll be joining us shortly as public advocate elect. Uh, and he won in convincing fashion. Yes, he won with 33 percent or so of the vote in a field of 16 candidates, uh, really uh, a larger share than certainly I anticipated. We, we yeah, same here. Our, our predictions beforehand, yours were more on target than mine, but I don't think anybody oh, that's that I not, spoke That's to, not surprising. <laughs> I was shocked. I uh, had him uh, claiming that. And, you know, in a, in a we had talked before about how it was weird that this was a big field and no recount, or, I'm sorry, um, um, runoff right. pr- provision. Uh, he wouldn't have cleared the 40%, but that's a, a pretty convincing uh, win with 33% in this. Right. In, in, in typical primaries for citywide positions, um, it's the 40% threshold to avoid a runoff, which Mayor Bill de Blasio barely hit in 2013 in, in a crowded field. Nothing like this crowded. Um, and there were a lot of elected officials in the field. And Jamani Williams, to win a third of the vote with that many candidates on the ballot, was really pretty stunning. I mean, I was sort of thinking, well, if he can hit 20%, that's one in five votes with 17 names on the ballot. You know, maybe you knock off a few of those names, but, you know, 10, 11, 12 serious candidates in the race Mm -hmm. to even win one out of five votes, I thought would have been a strong showing. And then he won one out of every three. So pretty remarkable. And someone who did win roughly one out of five is Eric Ulrich, the Republican council member from Queens, who we also had on the show. He had earned the or he had received the endorsement of the Daily News and the New York Post. Um, Really the only Republican of note in the race. There was another Republican, Manny Alencondra, who was uh, a kind of lower tier candidate. Uh, that showing is obviously interesting as well. And because of Eric Ulrich showing the other Democrats in the race who were prominent, especially former Council Speaker Melissa Mark Viverito, placing a distant third with around 11%, 11. Mm-hmm. or so, and Michael Blake, the Bronx Assemblyman, who uh, raised a ton of money um, and uh, campaigned very aggressively, I think had a headquarters in every borough or something, uh, placing fourth with, I think, eight or nine percent. Yep. And, and, and then, you know, Adonis Rodriguez at about 6%, and Dawn Smalls, a first-time candidate, in at about 4%. And 4% is not a strong showing. However,
However, she outpaced several other elected officials in the race who who did very poorly. I mean, you had Assemblymember Danny O'Donnell, City Council Member Rafael Espinal coming in much lower than I think uh, I expected and many others expected too. Uh, you know, we don't know what's going to happen in these elections. We knew Jamani Williams was a favorite, but he really um, ran away with it. And we're going to get a chance momentarily to talk to him about his win, his next steps, his priorities. He had uh, a meeting today with former public advocate, now Mayor Bill de Blasio, and with currently acting public advocate and city council speaker Corey Johnson. Jamani Williams will be sworn in in the coming days or weeks. We'll ask him when that will happen exactly. And then folks should also know that later in the program, we are going to be joined by another returning guest, uh, Rebecca Katz, who's a Democratic political consultant. And she will join us to talk a little bit about the broader Democratic Party and the things going on within it, and also the presidential field that's shaping up and where her former boss, Mayor Bill de Blasio, may fit into that discussion as he's trying to sort of wedge his way into the conversation in some way while flirting with this idea of running for president. We should mention to folks who are listening that because we've been preempted by Mr. Cohen's testimony on Capitol Hill, despite our desire to include you in this conversation as listeners and callers, we won't be able to do that today. Um, But we certainly plan to do that in future shows. There's going to be a lot to talk about. You know, we've been doing this program since the summer, and we've had an election basically on our agenda or our radar screen for the entire time. Obviously, the primary elections in September, the general election in November, and then, frankly, this very interesting, very intriguing and rare citywide special election public advocate over the past couple months. Those have now passed. Uh, There are obviously always other elections on the frontier, and people are planning for those. Uh, But uh, now we have a chance to focus on some other issues, and that will give us even more chance to get your opinions and and your questions uh, on the show. And and as we're moments away from bringing on uh, now public advocate-elect Jamani Williams onto the show, you know, we should say on on that theme of elections, while we could use a little break, there is a June primary coming up, uh, perhaps for public advocate, if uh, Jamani Williams is challenged, but there could be even a, a primary on the other side. And then there's a very interesting Queens District Attorney Democratic primary shaping up. We'll deal with that on another show. But now let's bring on City Council Member Jamani Williams, who from here on out will be called the public advocate or the public advocate elect until he's sworn in. Thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me. Yeah, uh, well, we were just talking about the results of your uh, of your election last night and trying to interpret what they meant, what your vote share meant, what the other results meant. Uh, what do you think they mean? How do you interpret them? It's, it's all still really surreal for me, so it hasn't really sunk in. Um, I, it, I don't, I'm not having trouble figuring out the words to describe it. I just wanted to win by one, so I was excited to win, and then the numbers were, you know, just amazing in, in my opinion. So I, I'm just, you know, I'm very thankful to the, the folks uh, who live in New York City for for coming out. Really. Did you at all, in your sort of wildest uh, imaginations here, going into this vote, think that you would get a third a third of the vote in such a crowded field? I mean, you can dream, but it seems not very likely. It seems like there would be, you know, a tight race maybe between a couple of us. And then, you know, I really was just focused till the end. I just want to do the best that we can to win by one more than the next person. And so we stayed on the grind. We stayed on the ground. We had a campaign plan that we thought was a winning one, and we did our best to execute it. 
so, so what's next here in terms of concrete steps? When when do you get sworn in? Uh, I, I believe you met um, with some of the folks who are currently working in the public advocate's office who've been under acting public advocate uh, and, and city council speaker Corey Johnson today. How does how do the mechanics here work of you actually taking this office after this very unique special election? So I woke up trying to figure out whether I was a council member or a public advocate. Um, and I, I often well, I often have that feeling, but you have more justification <laughs> for it. <laughs> Who am I today? We um, made a couple phone calls and figured out that uh, we have to be sworn in um, before the transition officially happened, which makes sense. And usually that happens when a um, when someone certifies the election. But thankfully, uh, because of the math. Uh, we were safe to actually do it now, but I asked if we can do it next week so I can make sure I have a true, a smooth transition from my council office to public advocate. So next week sometime we're going to work out a date uh, to get sworn in and uh, get, started, get started working on behalf of the people. And I believe that there will be, if I understand correctly, no special election to fill your council vacancy. Um, is that true, or what, what's going to happen there, and what do you think about that? What will what will happen for folks in the district in terms of representation in, in City Hall? I heard two different answers today, so I'm a little concerned. I heard that there wasn't, and that the election would happen in June, and then I heard that there might be one in April, so I'm trying to get more information about that. I really think uh, we should merge any special election, obviously, with uh, the June primary. It may be that the charter doesn't allow for that, so I'm trying to figure out if there's anything we do in the state. Uh, I, I think it'd be terrible to have two more elections in the next couple months and another one in November. This is really why people have problems with, with government. Um, but, you know, there are a lot of elected officials who represent uh, my district. They're, they're quite capable of making sure the constituent services uh, uh, gets taken care of. In addition, the council has uh, um, has ways of dealing with this as well. I'm not the first council member to leave in the middle of, of um, a term or before the term ends. And so they do make sure that there's staff there uh, to do the best they can to make sure the district is not ignored. And speaking of that, do you have um, someone in mind that you prefer to, to fill your seat? Is there someone you'll be supporting in that expected uh, election? I was excited, you know, from a few years ago, saying that the one thing I wanted to make sure was that my seat was uh, filled by a, a woman of more color, and there are a lot of great candidates, and so I know that's going to happen. Um, we're going to see how it uh, moves forward and try to figure it out in the coming weeks. So let's talk a little bit more about uh, the meetings you had today. You met with Mayor Bill de Blasio, himself a former public advocate. You met with Corey Johnson, who obviously you both know both of them very well, who he's been the acting public advocate. Any insights from, from those meetings that, that will help you um, as you take, take over this office? They were both very helpful. Um, and so both those meetings, uh, I got a lot of, um, since Corey was, uh, you know, freshest in the office, we had uh, um, some some good ideas, some transition conversations, some things I needed to know that will help the mechanics of transitions in the office a lot easier. So I'm, I'm glad that we were able to have those meetings today. So, bouncing between the practical elements of standing up your office and the political landscape, do you anticipate a primary in June? What do you think is ahead for you uh, electorally? 
you know, this is a democracy. We had uh, 17 people on the ballot last time. Um, we'll see how many people are on the ballot June. I intend to run again and uh, try to convince the voters that the, the vision we have for the office is the right one, and I hope to earn their vote again. And how about uh, Councilmember Ulrich, who came in second here, a Republican? Uh, that would be not for June, but for November. Did you, you spoke with him, I believe, uh, last night? Did he give you any indication if he plans to, to run again for, for the seat? I did speak to Alec, and he put up some impressive numbers. I think it was, a, on from his end, a, a pretty uh, good strategy to try to split the vote there. And, uh, you know, I think he did a good job. Uh, we had a great conversation. I have a lot of respect for, for Eric, um, and I think he has for me as well. So we joke around a lot. He's a, he's a friend in the council. Uh, we obviously don't agree on all uh, policy points, but he did not give any indication what he was going to do in November. And let me just come quickly back uh, to the mayor in your meeting with him, um, was there any one thing particularly that he said about being public advocate that that was a value to you, um, or is it, or is it much more of a just a broad catch up? I, I think it was both broad. We also talked about some policy things, and he also discussed what he thought the office was, and he he, he understood that the nature of the office is sometimes there would be tension, good tension on behalf of the people of the city of New York, um, and that was some, you know some great groundwork groundwork for us to have as we move forward. Both of us trying to make sure the city is moving the way it should be, and I've always said that you know my job not to be adversarial just because. So if we're doing what we should be doing, you know, things are fine to the to the extent that we're not. You know, my job is to advocate for the public and I'm gonna do that. Uh, councilman slash public advocate elect, you know, you mentioned the the breadth of this field, the 17 candidates on the ballot, 16 of whom were in the race to the end. And you know, there are tons of forums. There obviously were the two televised debates, plenty of time to hear each other's ideas. Um, and I'm curious if in that time, if, if you drew any ideas or inspiration or things you want to take a look at from any of your opponents, anything that wasn't necessarily on your radar screen or at the top of your agenda that might be there now just because of the exchange of ideas that occurred yeah you know uh the 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 debt relief that uh student debt relief that ron kim raised you know we don't have direct power to actually get it done but i told him you know we're gonna lose i would like to work on that with him and so that was something that i, I can't say it wasn't on my radar screen but it wasn't formulated as a sorry a policy item but i, I definitely like to explore that with him because i think it's critical and it's important and uh, you've outlined during during this campaign uh some of the issues that obviously you've already been working on and you plan to continue working on and i think chief among those you know you said you plan to advocate and agitate a bit around transit but um you know in terms of city policy especially housing policing issues um you know i imagine that uh, as you've indicated you know those are things that you you really think the city needs to head on a different path on on those issues um you know can you can you tell listeners and new yorkers you know now that you know you'll be in the office um you know sort of what you have in mind in terms of trying to push the change that you think new yorkers want you to pursue on those issues Thankfully, I try to say things uh, that I really mean. <laughs> so, you know, when I talked about deeply inventory affordable housing, 
rent regulation is up in June. Um, I have had the opportunity to go around the state recently and meet with a lot of people who, like us in New York City, either want rent regulations strengthened or they want to have rent regulations to begin with. And so I want to use that opportunity to uh, kind of organize us in one voice uh, to push on the, the governor and give the state senate the strength it needs uh, to provide universal rent control or, or at least strengthen what's available and to bring rent relief uh, in other places. I do want to visit the MIH, like I discussed, um, to reopen MIH so we can get it right. Continue to advocate for what we uh, what we want to see in NYCHA. So and all the things that we discussed. On, on mandatory inclusionary housing, do you do you think there's an appetite in the in the city council for for opening that back up and making adjustments to the legislation that was passed? I know there's only one way to find out. <laughs> so I, I plan on finding that out uh, as soon as we can. Councilman, toward the end of the campaign, uh, there emerged because of a uh, improper leaking of some information about an arrest of yours in the past, um, word of an allegation against you from several years ago. It came out late in the campaign. Um, it was something that some of your opponents latched on to. Do you feel as though it was, that was an appropriate um, topic for discussion? And looking back now that you have your victory secured, do you feel as though you handled that as well as you could where you were forthcoming as you could? Do you think there's a message there for other men? Uh, how do you think, looking back on that sort of late-breaking uh, episode of the campaign? Clearly, the, um, the, you know, this record was... Uh, dismissing seal and so for people who deal with criminal justice issues this was a, a, a huge issue how did this happen why would it happen uh, that aside though once the information was released I, I believe that people had a right to ask questions about it and had a right to get those questions answered by someone who was running for citywide office so we decided to answer it uh, with clarity to be transparent transparent about what happened and to talk about what I learned from it, it was, it's an important topic and an in time and so we wanted to make sure we did that and do you want to capture for people what you feel like you you did learn from from that incident and perhaps i'm wondering if you want to connect that to how you finished your victory speech uh last night you um had a really resounding emotional end to your remarks um, you talked about having been in therapy the last few years and talking to uh black men who might be listening and 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 really trying to send a message about both the fact that you had just accomplished something and people should, um, you know, really know that they can accomplish things they set out for, but also encouraging people to, um, you know, not be ashamed if they're going through some hard times and to seek out help. Um, are those things connected or are they separate? I do both. There wasn't necessarily connected to, you know, that arrest or that type of behavior per se. Um, but from that um, arrest, I did learn, you know, since then, just about privilege in general. I used to think about privilege in terms of black, white, and then, but then you begin to learn as you travel throughout, you know, your life. But there's other type of privilege, whether it's cis, uh, whether it's, uh, you know, being straight or being a man, and that even in a, a verbal dispute with someone uh, who you're dating as a woman, and there's a power dynamic there that's based on privilege. And I wanted to learn that I have to acknowledge that and show up in spaces in a better way. And 
we, we learned that and, and, and definitely have. In addition to that, just going through life and, uh, you know, I always try to figure out how can I talk to young people in a way that I would have listened to if I was younger. And I always often think about my younger self and things that I was dealing with at that time and just acknowledge that person. And I think it was important to know that there are people who are just going through life and, and it's okay to talk about it. It's okay to seek therapy. And unfortunately in the black community, and I think even in the, uh, other communities like the, the black and brown community, therapy is not as talked about as it should be. And uh, there's no reason why it shouldn't be because um, we, we all can use we all can use speaking with someone at some point. I believe I'm a much better person in many areas, uh, and even just being with myself, which is critically important, uh, because I did that. One consequence of your victory, uh, or actually the the change that preceded it, which is Letitia James uh, stepping down as public advocate, is that the city lost its only citywide female official uh, among the the three or four citywide officials. And I'm curious. If, if you know that's paired in some people's minds with the shrinking of uh, female representation on the city council, do you see that as a problem? And as a male citywide official now, is there something you can do either to offset that or to change the dynamics that create this apparent gender imbalance? It's, it's definitely an issue, and definitely even something I talked about when I was running. That is something we have to address. And, uh, you know, I, I'm not a woman. And I'm, there's a lot of things I'm not. My job is to represent everyone to the best of my ability, and I'm going to continue to do that. And, you know, when I came in, there were a lot more women in the city council. I'm sad that there isn't now. Part of my growth in learning about privilege was the fact that there were so many uh, women in the council talking about these issues, having hearing about these issues. And that may not have happened if there weren't any women in the council. So it's, it's actually critically important. And so I, that is when I dedicated myself to make sure that uh, the person who replaced me uh, would help increase how many women were in the council. And we have to set up pipelines for that to happen. We have to set up places for uh, the talent to be able to be groomed and understand that this is something they can do and change change how we're recruiting people. I mean, we, we, we do it in certain ways. We do it, you know, the council is um, to over 50% black, uh, black, Latino, Asian. And we did that in a very specific, targeted way, I think. And we have to do the same thing when it comes to gender. It's, it's critically important. And Public Advocate-elect Jamani Williams, we appreciate the time. We'll get you out of here on one final uh, question. And I'm wondering, you know, as, as you take office as public advocate, uh, I think it's going to be next week, as you indicated, um, and you've seen the the mayor do a bit of travel out of town and you know explore this possible presidential bid do you foresee yourself um you know having sort of an assertive voice about telling the mayor to stick around town uh, a lot and and pay attention to the nuts and bolts of running the city is that something that is of concern to you as you look ahead over the next several months if the if the issues i care about are being done then, you know, the mayor is doing his job. If it isn't, then I need to call that out. And if I believe it isn't because there's not enough time spent, then that should be called out as well. But my main priority 
is to make sure that people have safe and uh, affordable housing, people have uh, quality education, people uh, can get to work on time because the trains are running, uh, and there's options uh, for people to get to work, and that people have access to quality education facilities, that everything's running the way it should be. And so I'm going to continue to do that. And frankly, whether the mayor was here or not, that's the job that I was, I'd like to do. And, you know, that's the job I'm going to do wherever the mayor is. Very good. Well, congratulations on your victory. Thanks for jumping on with us today in the, in the day after and chatting a bit about the path ahead. And, uh, and we'll talk with you more soon. Good luck in the transition period. No problem. Thank you so much. And we're back on Max and Murphy on WBAI 99.5 FM, listener-sponsored non-commercial radio coming to you from Brooklyn. You just heard our conversation with council member for a few more days and public advocate-elect for a few more days, Jumani Williams, talking about his victory in Tuesday. Democratic, I'm sure, sorry, Democratic and Republican, everybody, uh, special election to fill that seat. Uh, talking about um, his, I think, his own surprise at his margin of victory um, and the uh, kind of mechanics of him taking control of that office over the next few days. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see how uh, he ramps up. It'll be interesting to see what the transition looks like. You know, I believe that the current public advocate's office, I think there's somewhere around 30 employees that are in the public advocate's office generally. I think that number has shrunk since Tish James has departed. I don't know that they've staffed up with some of the people that she's taken with her. I'm not totally sure on exactly what those numbers look like, and I think some of those numbers will depend on how the public advocate decides to do the staffing and pay people. You know, you have to manage your budget. Um, but it'll be interesting to see who does he bring in. You know, Tish James had this model of the office as a mini law firm, uh, you know, a mini attorney general's office, so she hired more lawyers. Well, what is Jamani Williams going to do? He's made a promise to have deputy public advocates out in the boroughs. So it'll be interesting to see how he sort of sets that up. Um, you know, who's he hiring? Where is he positioning people? He wants to connect some of those borough offices to where he said there are the most uh, CCRB complaints, which is the police oversight board, the civilian police oversight board. So that'll be very interesting to see how he approaches that. Certainly, you know, he has a record of taking on the NYPD and taking on policing issues that we really haven't seen a lot of in our citywide elected officials lately. And uh, that will be very interesting to see what he does on that front. He also, um, you know, indicated this plan to pursue a change to this mandatory inclusionary housing policy that was much heralded. He was one of the only few people that either abstained or, or voted against it when it passed a few years ago. And it's sort of the the foundation of de Blasio's housing plan in a way. It requires developers to put affordable housing in new development that's that's based on a rezoning. Uh, and that, that could be a very interesting battle. I do wonder, as I asked him if there is the appetite in the city council for that. Yeah, that was a good question. And, and I think, too, you know, he talked a little bit about his journey to this point. It is worth thinking about, you know, in the wake of his uh, very impressive showing and the fact that he'll take this office. Uh, you know, Jamani Williams 
was a housing advocate. Um, he's lived his whole life with a disability. Uh, he won election to the city council by beating an incumbent in a Democratic primary very strongly, an incumbent that people had tried to knock off before and could not. Uh, won re-election, tried to become city council speaker. Uh, that did not work out. Ran for lieutenant governor, which was, I think, seen as a quixotic effort at first, and did very well. Did not, did not uh, win, but uh, collected a huge number of votes, won in the city, and uh, positioned himself, I think, very well for for this for this campaign and for his victory last night. Well, and politically speaking, you know, Jamani Williams has now shown that he has this very potent political constituency of people of color and white progressives that is the Bill de Blasio constituency, is a bit of the Barack Obama constituency, you know, is the is sort of the Democratic secret sauce to having very strong showings in, in elections. And so, you know, what he pulled off in this special election with support not only from central Brooklyn, but also uh, Brownstone Brooklyn and then the Upper West Side, you know, not to mention many other places of the city where he did well, that is very interesting politically to see in terms of where Democratic voters are at as we talk about other elections that are coming up. Uh, But also, he has said he's not running for mayor in 2021. He said, you know, I mean things when I say them and I'm not running in 2021. And he said, you know, I'm basically not really interested in being mayor ever, but he only really ruled out 2021. When you put put together a showing like he just put together, (laughs) I think plenty of people might rethink uh, a statement like that. But, you know, that's a ways off. But I do think politically it was very interesting to see what he just pulled together with a lot of the support that he had gotten during that lieutenant governor campaign. And also the election was an interesting test of the new eight to one match by the campaign finance board, the change that was passed by voters in November. One of the three charter revision questions put forward by Bill de Blasio's charter revision commission. There's a new one operating now uh, generated by the city council. And uh, really Williams was masterful in how he used that system. He you know raised just over a quarter of a million dollars, uh, but he received more than I think 1.1 million back from the city in, in matching funds, well more than anyone else in the race. I think three or four times as much as uh, Melissa Mark Viverito received, and that clearly allowed him to run some excellent ads, do a lot of direct mail, um, really in, in a race that was low wattage and low visibility because of its timing and because of the nature of the office. He I think broke through um, that kind of haze of of uh, obscurity around the race, um, powered by that money. I think that's a very interesting theory, um, and I want to point folks to the piece that you wrote of nine takeaways from the special election, which was excellent, and you discussed some of that there. I will, you know, just for the sake, a little bit of the sake of argument, um, say that I don't know that Jamani Williams could, couldn't have or wouldn't have won this election with far less money. He, the support that he had from advocacy groups, elected officials, political clubs, I mean, he went around the circuit and got so many endorsements from the types of groups and people that I think do clearly matter in a special election like this. You know, our our elections are so low turnout, although this one, I think, exceeded very, very, very low expectations. Uh, About 400,000 people voted, which, uh, you know, was was a bit of a nice surprise. I thought I was thinking it would be about half that. Um, So, you know, I don't know. But I do think he had the money and he used it. So certainly it didn't hurt him. 
um, and you know we will see how that new system plays out in in future elections that are coming up. We've already seen Corey Johnson, who says he's exploring a mayoral bid, but is very clearly running. Uh, you know, we've seen him sort of announce his own restrictions on his campaign fundraising, but a lot of it is to take advantage of that new city system.